From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. Well, we are very busy here at the free neighborhood clinic we decided to set up. You see, we wandered into an alternative universe where the pandemic is under control and regular health issues can now be attended to. And our free clinic is steadily filling up with people who postpone their various treatments while under lockdown. We have quite a lineup of folks with a broad array of medical complaints. But not to worry, we also have a stupendous roster of health care practitioners. I must warn you, however, most of them are self-proclaimed doctors, including medicine men, voodoo doctors, doctors of jazz and syncopation, and love doctors. We'll see if they can do any good for our patients. Let's start with an emphasis on preventive medicine and wellness. Here to explain are the Merrimax with Ray Noble and his 1937 orchestra. Long as you got your health.
That was the Mary Max with Ray Noble and his orchestra giving some good 1937 preventive medicine advice. Long as you got your health. Okay, it's uh, time to start screening the patients in the waiting room of this neighborhood free clinic. We're going to triage these cases before we assign them to the appropriate sawbones. First, we'll take down the name of Tommy Duncan, who is here accompanied by his Western All-Stars, and he's presenting as sick, sober, and sorry. I met with a gal in a tavern Oh, what a beautiful dream We had three or four Then had several more That's when I went off the beam Oh, sick Sober and sorry Broke, disgusted and sad Sick, sober and sorry But look at the fun that I had The jukebox so loudly was playing Each couple having a ball but of all the gals, their sweethearts and pals, I'll bet I'm the sickest of all. Oh, sick, sober, and sorry, broke, disgusted, and sad. Sick, sober, and sorry, but look at the fun that I had. On the wall says it's later Much later than ever before In spite of my pride They pushed me outside Then locked up and bolted the door Sick, sober and sorry Broke, disgusted and sad Sick, sober and sorry but look at the fun that I had Outside I was hailing a taxi I got one this time without fail It sported a star, we didn't go far Was only two blocks to the jail Oh, sick, sober and sorry Broke, disgusted and sad Sick, sober and sorry But look at the fun that I had
heart starts bumping And there's something, something Oh, doctor Oh, doctor Got a strange sensation Sort of palpitation Oh, doctor Oh, doctor If you get that strangest feeling, call a nurse. You won't need an operation. You won't get worse. You just need a love thrill. Take a little love pill. Oh, doctor. Oh, doctor. Let me ask a question How is your digestion? Oh, doctor Oh, doctor Does your heart start knocking When you see silk stocking? Oh, doctor Oh, doctor Well, my friend, here's my advice. Just take a dip. Take a dip. Mix red hair with two blue eyes. That's my prescription. If you can't find park room, try a cozy dark room. Oh, doctor. was Louis Panico complaining about heart palpitations. Oh, doctor. Maybe he needs a love doctor. We'll have to run some tests and wait for a professional diagnosis. Before him, Tommy Duncan and his Western All-Stars stumbled in complaining of feeling sick, sober, and sorry. All right, who's next? The 1941 Ink Spots. They're running a super high temperature, faintness, heart problems, Hey, Doc! Hey, Doc, hey, Doc, I wonder what's wrong with me. Hey, Doc, hey, Doc, my temperature's 103. Hey, Doc, hey, Doc, whenever she looks at me. I get a hazy spell, a crazy spell. I run around in circles and yell, well, I need a pill. Hey, Doc, hey, Doc, my ticker is on the bling. What do you think? Do you think the trouble is that I'm in love? Yes, yeah. Hey, Doc, hey, Doc, I wonder what's wrong with me. 
Give me your wrist, uh, son, and I'll see if I can see. Hey, Doc, hey, Doc, my temperature's 1,003. What you been doing with yourself, son? Hey, Doc, hey, Doc, whenever that gal casts them glimmers on me. I thought it was something like that. I get a hazy spell, yeah. a crazy spell. Yeah. I run around in circles and yeah. You need a pill, son. Hey, Doc, hey, Doc, my tickle's solid on the bling. Let me listen to it. Why do you think, Doc? What do I think? Do you think I'm really in love? Yeah, son, you all messed up. Yeah. Hey, Doc. Hey, Doc. Hey, Doc. Hey, Doc. Hey, Doc. What's the matter, Deacon? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Doc, I'm in love. Yeah, you're in a terrible shape. Hey, Doc. Hey, Doc. I get a crazy spell, uh-huh. a hazy spell. Yeah. I just run around in circles and shout. What's it all about? Mm, doctor, doctor, I declare my tickers on the blink and I ain't nowhere. What do you think? Do you think the trouble is that I'm in love? Hey, doc, hey, doc, hey, doc. <laughs> Something is bothering me. Is that so? Well, tell me about it. Hey, Doc, hey, Doc, I wonder what's wrong with me. You look like you beat for your chops this morning. Hey, Doc, hey, Doc, my temperature is 103. Well, let me feel your pulse, let me feel your pulse. Hey, Doc, hey, Doc, whenever she looks at me. Oh, there's a chick mixed up in this thing here. Say, listen, do you get a hazy smell? Yeah. A crazy smell? Yeah. And you run around in circles and yell that you need a pill? Hey, Doc, hey, Doc, my ticker is on the blink. Hey, nurse, hand me my stethoscope over there. What do you think? I think uh, the trouble is, or, uh, are you in love? But Doc, that's a killer. That's a gas. That knocks me on out. Thank you. 
Okay, that was Tyree Glenn, helped into this round-the-world free clinic by Cab Calloway and his orchestra. Both he and the ink spots before him have the same set of symptoms. High fever, heart going pit-a-pat, and head swimming. Yes, they all might need a love doctor. Seems to be a love epidemic running through the neighborhood. And next here is Jelly Roll Morton, along with his Red Hot Peppers, and he is demanding to see a specific doctor who he claims is the only one who can deal with his symptoms. Paging Dr. Jazz. Dr. Jazz. Thank you. 
women are wonderful, on this most men agree. Dr. Ketchum wrote the book for all posterity. Say, Red, you know, it seems that everybody's been reading this Dr. Ketchum's report. Uh, by the way, just what have you learned up to now, son? Well, Ernest, after reading Dr. Ketchum's book, I found out that most women bill, sham, and race rack. Always star kissing one shelf without once Kim scrubbing on a chiller rack. Do tell. Because it makes sense that line up, of course, event on the Randers Road, and women, as you all know, can kick cough. <laughs> you know what that means. Yeah. That's what Ketchum said, boys. He's restored our hope. Thank you, Dr. Ketchum, for giving us the dope. And say, you know, there was something else in there, too, Red, that I didn't quite understand about uh, women getting married younger nowadays than they used to. Oh, that's where he said most grandsmen don't fight all insurance marriage as much as they did 15 years ago. Uh-huh. Yeah, sounds amazing, doesn't it? Boy, it sure does. And they can transmit on the Shilleram. And this, of course, is one of the most important points of the survey, I think. I think it is, too, Red. That's what Ketchum said, boys. He's restored our hope. Thank you, Dr. Ketchum, for giving us the dope. And say, Red, did you notice uh, that part in there where he said something about brunettes being easier to get along with than redheads? Oh, Ernest, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a vital interest to the human law. He said that not one kind chief in 45% knows why women who dare off with a Phil Storm will always sign a rip with a Cranswick. And not only women, but some men kiss full with Patty Sack. It makes no difference if they're blondes, brunettes, or redheads. You know, he may have something there. Yeah. We've read Ketchum's book now. But it don't change a thing. I'll go and find my girlfriend. And buy a wedding ring. When we have a baby, it'll be a boy, I hope. We'll name him after Ketchum for giving us the dope. And there's just one more important thing here, Ernest, I'd like to mention. And what's that, Red? I'd like to urge the folks to go out and buy this book on the behavior of the human. It's very important. It'll tell you how to race rack, prance with, dares forth, norn fact, and summon the fourth. You know what I mean. Yeah, and I believe that about winds it up, don't you think, Red? That's about it. So, uh, Paul Cohen. Thank you, Dr. Ketchum, for giving us the dough. Ernest Tubb and Red Foley with their 1953 book report on Dr. Ketchum. Very illuminating. Before that, Jolly Roll Morton burst into our free clinic here demanding to see Dr. Jazz. A very pressing case. He was helped in by his Red Hot Peppers. Yes, you are listening to WSHDLP Esport, and round the world with yours truly, Cracklin' Jane, has wandered into an alternative universe where the pandemic is over. We decided to set up a free neighborhood clinic to deal with the backlog of health issues that have piled up in the privacy of lockdown. So far, we've taken down the symptoms of these walk-in patients and are now ready to start assigning doctors, real and self-proclaimed. In fact, here is Johnny Marvin maintaining that he is the medicine man for the blues. Nat Shilkret and the 1929 Victor Orchestra are attending.
all who I am with a thorn in my hand. I'm the medicine man for the blues. I'll make each trouble and care seem like each bubble of air. With my old baronet, what results I can get? There's been no trouble yet I can't lose. Just trust the medicine man for the blues. When you're down hearted, I bring a smile. When life makes you sick, my music can make life seem worthwhile. I don't bring any pills for your fever and chills, but with musical thrills I amuse. I'm called the medicine man for the blues.
Doc Cook and his 14 Doctors of Syncopation recommend exercise, specifically the alligator crawl. That prescription was written in 1927. Before that, Johnny Marvin claimed he was the medicine man for the blues. He was assisted by Nat Shilkrit and the 1929 Victor Orchestra. As we heard previously, many of our patients are in need of a love doctor. Luckily, Gatemouth Moore claims expertise in this area. His office staff includes the 1946 Tiny Grimes Swing Tet. Here is Love Doctor Blues. I got something for her that's gonna make her dream of me. My office hours, baby, are from sundown until the break of day. My office hours, baby, are from sundown until the break of day. And if you try my treatment, they will drive your pain away. I don't give you no tonic, and I surely don't give you a pill. I don't give you no tonic, and I surely don't give you a pill. But I'm a loving doctor, and I'll cure your every ill. Yes, I'm a doctor of love, and I don't charge no money fee. Well, I'm a doctor of love, and I don't charge no money fee. Thank you. 
Mr. Jazz, as musically depicted by Jacques Kluger in 1941. This was after we heard from Gatemouth Moore with the Tiny Grimes Swing Tet in 1946 with Love, Dr. Blues. Hopefully these medics can alleviate the suffering of our walk-in patients in this free neighborhood clinic. Dr. Clayton has an opening. He will now describe his special treatment, Root Dr. Blues. Doctor, I don't buy no other doctor in this land. I'm a first class roof doctor. I don't buy no other doctor in this land. My remedy is guaranteed to cure you. Pills and pains ain't in my plan. Makes you feel like a real young girl You claim your regular doctor Makes you feel like a real young girl Dr. Clayton's root treatments make you feel like an angel Flying around in another world Of operating, I don't leave a scar nowhere. I got a streamlined way of operating, darling. I don't leave a scar nowhere. I put my remedy right on the spot, and I swear the healing power's there. Come here, Mr. Lacey. Come here, come here. Well, glory. Throw your wig. Let your hair rise. Root treatment, woman, don't start no signal. After you receive my root treatment, female, please don't start no signifying. Don't clown, call some woman, beat you to my office. Lord, I love to work overtime.
Mr. Mack. What you doing down here by the railroad track? Boy, ain't you heard about old Doc Yak? He's gone out west where quacks and quacks. Old Doc Yak, he won't come back. Old Doc Yak, he won't come back. Old Doc Yak, he won't come back. He wouldn't do a lick of work. Well, I wouldn't smoke, he wouldn't drink. Sit all day and pretend to think. He washed his feet in the kitchen sink. Just another lazy jig. Well, now he knew the answer to almost everything. He had a cure for cancer and a curse for a swing. Old Doc Yak, he burned the shack. Old Doc Yak, he burned the shack. Old Doc Yak, he left today. Went to California. Yes, old Doc Yak has gone missing. Just when the clinic is overrun with patients. Ray McKinley filed that missing persons report about old Doc Yak, and he was assisted by Will Bradley and his orchestra in 1939. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. Around the world is running a neighborhood clinic where all medical attention is free of charge. We've stumbled into a parallel universe a realm where the pandemic is over and peopled by self-proclaimed love doctors and general practitioners of jazz and blues. Now let's see how or if these treatments have proven their efficacy. In 1927, six jumping jacks are here to testify that she's just what the doctor ordered.
say yes and she won't say no, but oh, 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 she's just what the doctor ordered. She doesn't rouge, doesn't paint, she ain't no devil and she ain't no saint, but oh, 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 she's just what the doctor ordered. Now I was told my nerves were gone and I should live more quiet, and then this baby came along, and boy, she is a perfect diet, knows her in, knows her out, she has her fun, but she has her doubts, oh, 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 she's just the doctor ordered.
Dr. Blues, that musical medical chart filled in by Louise Russell in 1929. Before that, the six jumping jacks were happy to report that their medical treatment filled them with new life. She's just what the doctor ordered. And the rejuvenated patients here in our round-the-world free clinic are each being sent home with a prescription for a healthy diet of fruits and vegetables, not to mention a jumbo bottle of vitamin pills, the administration of which will be explained by Lorraine Benson with Ray Herbeck's 1946 orchestra.
honey's for my eyes, dear, and I've had a vision, it's true. Just last night I saw the light, I need vitamin U. Vitamin B calms my nerves, dear, and my nerves are fidgety, too. When you're round, they settle down, I need vitamin U. Superman has vitamins, and look what he's done. Ah, but still I know, if I had you, that I'd have them all wrapped in one. Vitamin D is the sunshine, you could change my gray skies to blue. Think your mind, then the sun will shine, cause I need vitamin U. And bigger vitamin B. Ah, but still I know if I had you that you would do the same for me. Vitamin E gives me strength, dear, and I could feel like Samson, it's true. Vitamin L O V E all mean vitamin U. Jerry Brown with Horace Height and his Musical Nights. I Need Vitamin U from 1942. This was preceded by Lorraine Benson with Ray Herbeck's orchestra, giving a more general 1946 expostulation entitled Vitamin Pills. Well, our free medical clinic is closed for the day. We threw open the doors to anyone regardless of ability to pay, and were quickly overrun with folks complaining that their hearts were going pit-a-pat, night sweats, vertigo, insomnia, and temperatures of 1,003. We gave advice on exercise and preventive medicine, a diet of fruits and vegetables, and daily vitamins. Our staff of specialists included doctors of syncopation, jazz, and love, and featured a medicine man of the blues and a root doctor. You are listening to WSHDLP Esport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. And we have now for your listening pleasure a 1943 episode of Suspense about an evil doctor starring Bela Lugosi. So let's listen. Here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. 
Our star tonight is Bela Lugosi, playing the part of Professor Antonio Basile, psychologist. The story is by J. Donald Wilson, who calls it The Doctor Prescribed Death. If you have been with us on these Tuesday nights, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. This series of tales is calculated to intrigue you, stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation, and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so it is with the doctor prescribed death and Bela Lugosi's performance. We again hope to keep you in suspense. Professor Antonio Basile has a theory, but let him tell you about it. As a psychologist, I have worked out a theory. A theory I know to be sound. I contend that a person who has decided to kill himself can very easily be turned from this desire to the desire of taking the life of another. I can prove my theory. And if necessary, that is exactly what I will do. Yes, Professor Antonio Basile has a theory, but only a theory. And he's worried about what his publisher will say. So he visits the editor, whose name is Hellman. Hellman finishes the manuscript and tosses it on the desk. Professor Basile leans forward eagerly and... Well, Hellman, what do you think? Professor Basile, it's purely conjecture, simply a theory, and I wouldn't advise publishing it. I worked on that theory for a long time. I'm positive of it. I know it'll work. Suppose it will. What good is it? What good have you accomplished if you can prove it'll work? <laughs> Are you laughing at me, Herman? It's so silly. An ordinary human being has suffered reverses. is sick of it all. He wants to leave it all behind. And you say he can be changed to want to kill someone else. I do. Self-destruction and the destruction of other life are closely related in the mind. The dividing line is very thin. It's ridiculous. And you won't publish it? Ranger would fire me. Why? He told me that, in his opinion, you should be in the asylum. Mr. Granger said that. Does he think I'm insane? <laughs> How do I know? Herman, Mr. Granger didn't say that. It's you who thinks I'm crazy. You've never liked me. For some reason, you are trying to tear me down. Well, we'll see, Mr. Herman. We'll see. Now, wait a minute. I'll show you whether my works are illogical. I'll show you whether I'm insane. Oh, calm down. <laughs> I'm going to make you eat those words. I know you don't like me, but I'm going to prove that my theory is sound. Good night. Wait a minute. Basil, wait. You wait, Herman. You wait. Yes, wait, Herman. Wait. Professor Basile, seething with resentment, rushes from the office and strides angrily down the street. Insane, huh? I'll prove my theory. I'll find a subject. I'll find someone who wants to take his own life. And so Basile goes home, late for dinner. He finds a note from his wife, Myra, saying she's decided to attend the opera and will be home around 11.30. Then Professor Basile gets an inspiration. He goes to the bridge over the deep canyon, the bridge called Suicide. 
strangely enough, he hasn't long to wait. As he stands against the railing in the fog, a figure appears a few feet beyond, stops, prepares to leap. Don't do it! Wait a minute! Listen. Huh? That's very silly. Let go of me. Oh, no. I couldn't do that. I need you. I don't need you. Don't you know this is uh, against the law? You're not an officer. You can't stop me. It's 500 feet to those tracks below. Hard steel rails. And don't believe what they all tell you about not being conscious of what happened. You'd know. People don't die instantly. Let loose. They lie in agony for minutes and sometimes for an hour. It's a horrible death, I know. How do you know? I'm a doctor. Doctor? Yes. I can tell you much simpler ways, much less painful ways and quicker. You're a nice young girl, an intelligent girl. You wouldn't want it to happen this way. Maybe after I talk to you a while, you wouldn't want to do this at all. No. No. But come on. Let's talk it over. Maybe a few minutes' talk will change the entire picture for you. What could you do to help me? If you'll come, I'll tell you. There's a motive back of your wanting to do this, and I'd like to know what it is. Nothing doing. Haven't you any relatives? Any loved ones you'd like to do something for? Yes. Then if you'll talk with me for a while... Maybe I can find my way clear to help those people. You sound crazy to me. Oh, no. All right, I'll... Where? My apartment. Let's go. Well, here we are. Come in, please. Well, what do you want to know? Now, sit down first. Are you hungry? No, I'm not that broke. It isn't poverty. I knew that. I could tell by your clothes. Now, first, why did you come here? Why? Why, because you talked me into it. I <laughs> see. You're not afraid of me? Afraid? In my frame of mind. What can I lose? Suppose I told you that I really brought you here to kill you. Kill me? <laughs> you know, you're a very pretty girl, don't you? Yeah. That doesn't always mean so much. The right man, it might. That's what I thought. But I found out it didn't mean a thing. Ah. Then it was because of a man. I knew it. Really? How did you guess? I'm a student of psychology. I'm Professor Antonio Basile. I see. And you want to know what makes me tick? You want to know the reason behind my action tonight? That's right. I would like to know what happened to make you want to kill yourself. Suicide is a mental aberration. Yeah. I'd like to know what preceded the decision to destroy yourself. What you thought about until the moment I stopped you on the bridge. What good will that do me? You said you weren't broke, but you also said you had some loved ones you'd like to do something for. I meant I wasn't broke to the point of being hungry. I have a few dollars. But you suggested help for someone in larger terms. Yes, I did. Who is the loved one? My mother. You are her only means of support? Yes. And you intend to kill yourself? Yes. 
That's being selfish, isn't it? Selfish? Yes. You are concentrating solely on self. You think so? What else? The first law of human nature is self-preservation, right? I suppose so. The second law is the preservation of family. Yeah. So you decide to deny the first law and destroy yourself. And as a consequence, deny the second and leave your mother alone and in need. You indicate a form of insanity. What would be normal? To destroy the other person. The one who has done you wrong. Have you hurt him? No. Then the one who has done wrong should be the one to suffer. You have no legal recourse? Legal recourse? No, I haven't, I'm sorry to say. And you would kill yourself to let your poor mother suffer because of the wrong of another. Why shouldn't he be the one to suffer? I suppose you're right. Why shouldn't he? What happened after all? Why not tell me about it? Were you married? No. I never seemed to find time to get a wrong marriage. What's your name? Gladys. Gladys Tanner. How long had you known him? Almost four years. And you always thought he meant to marry you? Yes. Until three weeks ago. Yes? On July 1st, he had to leave town for a week on business. He said he was going to Kansas City. When he came back, he seemed to be too busy to see me. Then a week ago, I found a snapshot along with several others in his desk in his home. May I see it? Certainly. It's a picture of him and another woman. But the picture was not taken in Kansas City. It wasn't? No. It was taken on the beach at Atlantic City. And it's dated by the finisher, July 3rd. Since he returned, he's refused to see me. Yesterday, he finally said he didn't care to see me anymore. But I'd better forget him. But it isn't so easy as that, is it? No. Figured I'd done something. And blame myself. Do you... Uh, do you know this blonde woman in this uh, snapshot? No. Then it must be a woman uh, he has met uh, recently. You've known him for, for four years. I don't think you are to blame. He's the one in the wrong. And he should be made to suffer. How? You were going to kill yourself. Why should you? Kill him instead. He double-crossed you. He deserves it. Now, let me go a little deeper into the situation. Whenever a person has reached the conclusion to take his life... made up your mind, Miss Tanner. Positive. Now, if you're careful, you won't be caught. No. But whether you are or not, I'm giving you this check for a thousand dollars made out to cash to be sent to your mother only after the man is dead. Write his name on this pad. There you are. I will know what has happened by the newspapers. And I will be told payment... Until I learn that you have gone through with it. It'll happen tonight. Very well. You are sure? You are determined? Absolutely. Nothing could stop me. Very good. But just what would happen if I did get caught? 
you won't get caught if you follow my instructions. I know. Now, here is a small revolver. It'll fit easier in your purse. That's all you need. Be sure to wipe your fingerprints off and leave the gun near the body. Well, goodbye, Dr. Basile. Goodbye, Gladys, and good luck. Professor Basile watches Gladys as she crosses the street to the dimly lighted bus stop. Then he rushes to his car and drives away. A few minutes later, he comes to a stop at Hellman's house. Hellman, the editor who ridiculed his theory. Just a minute. Oh. Hello, Basile. Good evening, Hellman. Thought I'd drop out to have a little chat with you. Well, why this time of night? It's kind of late, isn't it? Eleven. Didn't think that was late for you. No? Uh, come in. Thanks. Sit down. What's on your mind? I want to talk to you about my theory you ridicule so definitely. My theory about suicide. Oh. Well, I just don't believe it, that's all. And I said I'd prove it, didn't I? Yes, but what are you getting at? It's going to be proved. My theory is going to be proved tonight. Oh, well, that's fine. Go right ahead and prove it. I don't like you, Hellman. I'd never liked you. And I know you don't like me. I can't help that, Basile. What are you staring at? Is there someone here with you? Certainly not. Why? That's a woman's purse on the Davenport. Hmm? Oh, my secretary dropped by earlier this evening with the manuscript. She must have forgotten it. She's not here now? Of course not. Then I'll continue. I found a subject. A girl who was ready to commit suicide because a man jilted her. In a few hours, I was successful in changing her thoughts from suicide to homicide, and she is going to kill the man tonight. What do you think of that? There may be a dozen murders tonight. Ah, but you'll know which one I mean. You'll know about this murder. What do you mean? Because I'm going to tell you who the victim is going to be. You know who the intended victim is? Why don't you stop it? <laughs> But then I wouldn't have proved my theory. If you put this girl up to it, you're as guilty as she is. <laughs> you're insane, Basile, hopelessly insane. You think so, Herman? The whole idea is mad, too utterly ridiculous for words. <laughs> no sane man would ever think of such a useless, senseless idea. And for heaven's sake, stop laughing. I'm thinking about the victim when he learns. Who is the victim? Martin Hellman. Me? Yes, you. <laughs> I don't believe you. You will this time. Who is this girl? I know no girl who'd want to kill me. This one does. Now. Oh, nonsense. However, I wouldn't put a past you to hire someone to do something like this. No, no. This girl is no fake. This girl is serious. Deadly serious. You probably hypnotized some poor woman, figuring she'd never remember what happened. Oh, Hellman, you underestimate me. Maybe I do underestimate your evil mind. But believe put me... Put up your hands, Hellman. Get away from that desk. I'll just take care of that gun, Hellman. That's better. Well, since when did you start carrying a gun, Basile? Ah, a gun? Don't be silly. This isn't a gun in my pocket. It's just my pipe. See? 
Well, what do you hear, Hermann? Uh, nothing. Oh, yes, you do. I heard it, too. The sound on the porch. I leave now. The back way. I put your gun in the kitchen. And I'll be very careful to remove all my fingerprints. You insane fool. Oh, fancy you. You, Hellman, you are going to help prove my theory. <laughs> Good night, Hellman. I'll have him locked up before he gets across town. Good evening, Mr. Hellman. Huh? How did you get in here? Through the patio door. What do you want? I wanted to talk to you. Very strangely. <laughs> You're just imagining things. And what are you doing here? I wanted to tell you something. Yeah? What? When you first indicated to me that you were through with me, I was terribly hurt. I thought all along that we were to be married. I couldn't understand. I tried and tried to think of something I'd done to cause our breakup. Then I happened to find this snapshot in your desk. Snapshot? Take a look at it. Kansas City. No, Atlantic City, New Jersey. You and a blonde. And the date is stamped on the back. A business trip. Ha! Well, what about it? I just wanted you to know that you weren't so slick. I wanted you to know that I knew about the blonde. That I knew you'd lied. Now that you've told me, what good does it do you? A lot of good. First, I thought you came here for money. How could you think such a thing? Well, I think you'd better go now. <laughs> I'm going. Goodbye, Morton. And good luck in your new venture. What venture? This one. Gladys. Gladys! And wish me luck in mine. Gladys stands staring a moment at the body of Hellman, then wipes off the gun. Drops it to the floor, takes the professor's check from her purse, steps to Hellman's desk and writes a note. Then she puts the note in an envelope with the check, addresses it, stamps it, turns out the lights, and steps out into the dark street. At the corner, she drops the envelope in the mailbox and disappears. Professor Basile heard the shots. His theory worked. Hellman will torment him no more. Perfect crime. So he can go home to his wife now and go to sleep. Myra. Myra. Huh? What? Oh, oh, Antonio. What are you doing asleep on the Davenport? Do you know what time it is? It must be after midnight. I've been waiting for you. How was opera? Oh, fair. Nothing to brag about. Who sang the lead? Bill Chiari. He wasn't very good. Well, yes. He's a poor old fellow. Oh, hello. I thought they were uh, doing Ida tonight. No, they switched because someone was ill. Oh, they just as soon have stayed home. Have a night, Capmira? No, thanks. I'm tired. I think I'll go to bed. I'll be long presently. Good night. Then the night passes and the morning comes. 
The professor rises cheerfully and prepares for breakfast. Then... I get it, Myra. Yes? Are you Professor Basile? Yes. May we come in? We'd like to talk with you. Of course. What is it you want? Is your wife in? Yes. We'd like to see her, too. Who are you? Oh, I'm Lieutenant Davis. Detective Well, what do you want? Will you call your wife? Why? Suddenly. Myra! What's this all about? What is it, Antonio? These men are from detective headquarters. They want to talk to us. Really? What about? May I ask where you were last night, Mrs. Basile? Certainly. I went to the opera. What time did you get home? Oh, I imagine it was around 11 or shortly after. Mm-hmm. Were you at home last evening, Professor? Well, I was at the club and got home about 12.30. By the way, uh, do you know Morton Hellman? Certainly. What about him? He's been murdered. Murdered? Good Lord. When? Around midnight last night. I found him this morning. How terrible. Why, I've known him for years. He was editor-in-chief of the company publishing my writings. I'm a psychologist, you know. Yes, I know. But uh, what do you want to know from us? We weren't connected socially with Hellman. Uh, just in business. Did uh, you know him, Mrs. Basile? Yes, yes, I knew him very slightly. Either of you know of anyone who'd have reason to kill him? Uh, certainly not. Everyone thought highly of him. Did you ever hear of a girl named Gladys Tanner? Gladys Tanner? No. Did you know of a Gladys Tanner, Mrs. Basile? No. Is this your purse, Mrs. Basile? Why, of course it is. That's the one I gave you last Christmas, Myra. Well, yes. I must have lost it downtown. Where did you find it, Lieutenant? At Hellman's home. Hellman's home? Well, how in the world? Good heavens, but We how... found it on the sofa. Well, I can't imagine how it could get there. And this is the revolver that killed Hellman, found on the floor beside him. What? No fingerprints on it, however. What? what? May I see it? Hi, Myra, this is your gun. I bought this for you two years ago when I went on the lecture tour. Yes, I think it's mine, but it just doesn't make sense. Did you have the gun in your purse when you lost it last night? Well, I... Perhaps I did. I'm so confused now, I can't remember. I think, Myra, I think it is, it is terrible. Oh, I know. Oh, dear, I feel ill. Did you ever fire this gun? Yes, once last year up in the mountains. I wanted to see how it worked. Ever reloaded? No, I've never reloaded it. I, I just didn't think about it. Maybe I did put it in my purse. Why, I don't know. And, and whoever found the purse may have used the gun to... Oh, I just can't seem to see. This gun misfired on the first two shots. The other three killed Hellman. This is the most amazing piece of coincidence I ever heard of. Why would my wife want to do such a thing? Why should she get to Hellman? She hardly knew him. Are you sure about that, Professor? Of course. Well, sorry to say that I don't believe her. What? This is ridiculous. This is going to be a shock to you, Professor, but here's a snapshot we found on Hellman's desk. Taken in Atlantic City last July. Good heavens. Why, this is you, my... You and Hellman... You were at your mother's in Florida in July. <laughs> Myra, look at me. What does this mean? I can't. I can't. And I can't believe such a thing. May I have the purse, the gun, and the photo? Thank you. I'm sorry, but I'll have to take her down to headquarters. But I didn't kill him. I didn't. I wouldn't. I loved him. <laughs> Myra. 
You better pull yourself together. You'll have to go back. You'll want photos and fingerprints. Yes. You better get it ready, Myra. Certainly looks bad for her. Afraid it does. Looks like an open and shut case. Oh, uh, will you come along too, Professor? Certainly. And so it all worked out beautifully. Not quite as the professor had planned. But then he changed his plan from the moment when Gladys Tanner showed him the snapshot taken in Atlantic City. And he realized that the girl's fiancé was Hellman and that the blonde was Myra, his wife. He had no intention of allowing Gladys Tanner to kill Hellman until he saw that snapshot. And when he recognized Myra's purse in Hellman's home, he decided to let Gladys kill him and the blame be placed on Myra. The perfect crime. But several hours later, after fingerprints and many questions, the professor is just about to be dismissed when Sergeant Rankin steps into the room and speaks quietly to Lieutenant Davis. What is it, Rankin? I stayed at the seal's place, as you said. Well? A few minutes ago, a special delivery letter came for the professor. This will knock your eye out. Read it. Well, it fits perfectly with the writing we were trying to make out on Helm's desk letter. Professor... Here's a letter sent special delivery to you a few minutes ago, postmarked last night. Read it. Dear Professor Basil, your theory worked a certain degree. You convinced me I should kill him. Uh, I should kill him, uh, but when that gun you gave me uh, misfired twice, I, I almost quit. Go ahead, Professor. Read on. Then as I looked at him on the floor, the feeling of self-destruction came back. I'm going ahead with my plan. Here's your check. I won't need it. Besides, I lied to you. I lost my mother long ago. Better luck next time. Gladys, Tanner. And a half hour ago, they found her body beneath Suicide Bridge. Well, Professor, your perfect crime has failed. Failed, Yes. Failed, Wonderful but... setup on paper, but your theory backfired and you're up for murder. But I didn't kill him. But you planned it and you're as guilty as Gladys. He's paid her penalty. Now it's your turn. No. No. I won't. I won't be hanged. Never. Drink and grab And now the doctor lies on the sidewalk, 17 stories below. His entire theory worked in reverse. So closes the doctor prescribed death starring Bela Lugosi. Tonight's story of suspense. It came to you from Columbia Square in Hollywood. And you are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1943 episode of suspense. The doctor prescribed death. Now, stay tuned for a 1952 episode of Tales of the Texas Rangers. This one has a nice doctor. Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. (laughs) 
Another authentic reenactment of a case transcribed from the files of the Texas Rangers. Dates and places in the following story are fictitious for obvious reasons. The events themselves are a matter of record. And now, from the files of the Texas Rangers, the case called Illusion. It is 3 a.m. on October 3rd, 1945. In the town of Eagle Rock, Texas, Sheriff Glenn Minton is awakened by an urgent knocking on the door of his house. He slips on a bathrobe and walks downstairs as the knocking continues. Just a minute, I'm coming. All right. Now, who is it? Amy Ross. I've got to talk to you, Sheriff. Please let me come in. All right, come in. Oh, Sheriff... I'm so scared. Now, now, now. Whatever it is, it can't be that bad. You don't know, Sheriff. You don't know. You can't. Here, now, you just sit down and relax. No. Please don't leave me. Sheriff, they tried it again. Tried what? They tried to kill me. Who? I don't know. Somebody. Somebody wants me dead. Now, look here, Amy. I've known you since you were a kid, and I'm going to talk to you like a father. I know what you're going to say. You think I'm imagining things. Well, it kind of looks that way. This is the third time in the past two months you've thought somebody was trying to kill you. They are. I know it. Amy, the other times we proved to you it was either accident or imagination. You'd never believe me. When the brakes went out on my car, when that man came into the house to kill me, you didn't believe it. Amy, you said that prowler was still in the house when I got there, and you know I didn't find nobody. He was there. I know he wasn't tonight. He came back. He tried to blow me up. What? I woke up and smelled gas. Before I could get out of there, there was an explosion. Where? The bathroom, I think. Part of my bedroom blew up. I don't know how I wasn't killed. Well, why didn't you phone instead of driving all the way in here? The phone wouldn't work. Oh, it was awful. Why do they want me dead? Why? What kind of gas fixtures do you have in the bathroom? Well, there's a little stove and the hot water heater. Where's your husband, Amy? Mark's away buying calves. He'll be back in the morning. Sheriff. Somebody came in and turned the gas on. I know it. Amy, think hard now. Could you have left that gas on yourself? No. No, I couldn't. Sheriff, you've got to listen to me. Somebody is trying to kill me. Somebody wants me dead. All right, Amy. All right, now get hold of yourself. We'll go out to your house and have a look. Sheriff made a preliminary investigation at the West Ranch House, then requested assistance from the Texas Rangers. Ranger Jace Pearson was assigned and reached the ranch at 10 that morning. Mark West, Amy's husband, had arrived home in the meantime. The two officers left Mr. West downstairs with his wife and went up to investigate the scene of the explosion. Pretty much of a mess, ain't it, Jace? Uh-huh. Mrs. West was lucky, though. I've seen gas heater explosions when there wasn't a thing left of the house. What do you make of it? You figure somebody could have come in here and turned the gas on like Amy says? It could be. Uh, heater valve was open. Yeah, but Amy could have left it open herself. You know how careless people are about things like that. Uh-huh. 
You say Mrs. West thinks somebody tried to kill her a couple of times before. That's right. But, Jace, to tell the truth, I don't put much stock in what she's been saying. Why not? Well, Amy's always been kind of high-strung, gets herself all upset about little things. You know how women are sometimes. Is she happy with her husband? Oh, Mark's always been real good to her. Seems to be crazy about Amy and her about him. Only one thing wrong I ever knew of. What's that? Well, both of them's always wanted kids, and they never had any. Last five, six years, Amy's been kind of brooding about it. What about these other times she said attempts had been made on her life? Well, the first time it was the brakes on her car. They went out and Amy smacked into a fence. She was lucky, just shook her up some. Mechanic said it could happen to any car. And the second time? She phoned me and said there was a prowler downstairs. When I got here, she swore she could still hear him walking around. I looked everywhere, and I didn't find a sign of anybody. Where was her husband? Away. He'd gone up to Dallas early that evening. You reckon he's involved in this? Oh, I don't think so. Jace, like I say, he's pretty fond of her. As far as you know, Sheriff, did Mrs. West ever try to take her own life? Well, just between us, the way Amy's been acting lately, I wouldn't put it past her. Uh-huh. We better go down and have a talk with both of them. If Amy does have ideas about suicide, Jace, how come all this talk about somebody trying to kill her? Well, the human mind's a funny thing. Sometimes that's the way it works. You mean she could have done all these things herself, and yet she really believes somebody else has been doing them? Something like that. You know, that crossed my mind when I was oh, talking with Amy. Mm-hmm. The living room door's open. Oh, yeah. What'd you find, Granger? I can't say for sure, Mr. West. Might have been deliberate, and then again, it could have been an accident. It wasn't any accident. Now, honey, you're just upset. It wasn't any accident, I tell you. He came in here just like he did the last time, turned on the gas, and tried to kill me. Honey, why would anybody want to kill you? I don't know, but he wants me dead. Amy, you've got to stop this. I don't know of a person in the world who wants you dead. Everybody loves you. That's the truth, Amy. I've never heard a soul in town speak a harsh word about you. It's no use trying to cover it up, Sheriff. Somebody wants to kill me. And when it's too late, you'll be sorry you didn't believe me. Honey, don't talk like that, please. Mrs. West, we'd like a statement from you about what happened last night. you mind coming in town with the sheriff and me? All right, I'll come. But I want Mark with me. I won't go unless he comes along. Sure, honey. I'll be glad to come. Sheriff, you take Mrs. West out to the car. We'll be along in a minute. Right, Jason. Come on, Amy. to do about this, Ranger. I just don't know. Mr. West, I think your wife needs help. Would you have any objection if I took her to a psychiatrist? You know one around here? There's a Dr. Sobel who's done some work for us in the past. Works at a private hospital about 40 miles from here. I can take Mrs. West to see him if you want. Ranger, you don't know what a load it would be off my mind. I've been thinking about something like that for weeks, just haven't been able to get up enough nerve to talk about it. Probably better if the idea comes from me. I'll mention it to her on the way into town. I talked to Mrs. West. At first, she was reluctant to see the psychiatrist. But by the time we reached the sheriff's office, she'd consented. After the sheriff took her statement about the explosion, I drove Mrs. West and her husband to the hospital. While she was talking to Dr. Sobel, Mark West and I waited in the outer office. Two hours later, the doctor opened the door between the offices. Sorry I kept you waiting so long, gentlemen. Mrs. West, you can go into the other room with your husband now. How are you feeling, honey? All right. I've given your wife some capsules, Mr. West. Just a mild sedative. See that she takes one every night before she goes to bed. Sure, Doctor. It won't help. It will if you make up your mind to let it. Nothing's going to help. 
somebody wants me dead. Sooner or later, he'll kill me. Well, we'll talk more about it, Mrs. West, sometime soon. Now, if you and your husband don't mind waiting, I'd like to speak to the ranger for a second. What do you think, Doctor? Well, it's only a preliminary examination. I'll want to spend much more time with her. But there doesn't seem to be any clinical psychosis present. You mean there's no definite insanity? I'm almost sure of it. What about this idea she's got that she's going to be killed? She's an extremely unstable woman, Ranger. And she's under some kind of severe emotional strain. What it is, I don't know yet. Well, the sheriff and I'd like to help her any way we can. Is there anything we can do? In a case like this, Ranger, nothing. Nothing at all. I drove Mr. and Mrs. West home and then went back to the sheriff's office. After talking to him, I decided there was nothing further I could do. I returned to headquarters. A week later, I received an urgent message from the sheriff. Mrs. West was in his office and insisted on seeing me. I went there. Sorry to bring you back, Jace, but Ms. West wouldn't talk to anybody but you. Said it was important. It's important, all right, Ranger. Real important. What is it, Mrs. West? Maybe you won't think I'm crazy now. Maybe you'll believe me. I never did think you were crazy, ma'am. Yes, you did, but you're going to see. Everything I told you was true. Just wait till I get it out of my purse. There. Look. Mm, aren't they the capsules Dr. Sobel gave you? Yes. And now I know I wasn't dreaming the past few months. My life has been in danger. Now, Amy... Well, what makes you so sure now? This. Now, you see? Inside the capsule. That's the color the powder should be. Green. But look at this capsule. Powder in that one's green, too, Amy. Why? Oh, I had another capsule I wanted to show you. Oh, I had it marked. Yes, Mrs. West. That's green, too. I don't know where. Oh, here it is. I knew I had it marked. See the little nick in the end? What did you want to show us, ma'am? Inside this capsule. There. The powder in this one's white. It's poison, Ranger. Well, that's something we can't say till it's been analyzed, ma'am. If you like, You don't I'll take... have to analyze it. That powder's poison. Now, look, Amy. Doc Sobel gave you those pills. You don't think he'd try to poison you? No, not him. But now I know who wants to kill me. I saw him. He didn't know I was watching. But I saw him take the green powder out and put the poison in. Who was this, Mrs. West? My husband. My husband's trying to kill me. In just a moment, we will continue with Tales of the Texas Rangers, starring Joel McRae as Ranger Jace Pearson. The cruel nature of cancer is well known. It strikes young and old, rich and poor alike. Men as well as women fall victim to this dread disease. And because anyone can develop cancer, everyone must join in the fight to conquer cancer. Every American shares in the hope that soon cancer will be conquered. But we cannot just hope for complete cancer control. We must take positive action. Do your part. Take positive action. Strike back against cancer by joining the American Cancer Society's 1952 crusade. Your dollars will help support the Society's three essential programs of research, education, and service to the cancer patient. 
It is estimated that 22 million Americans now living will die of cancer. Fortunately, however, this is not an unchangeable figure. By striking back together, we can reduce it substantially. So give generously to your unit of the American Cancer Society. Simply mail your contribution to Cancer Care of your local post office. And now, back to Tales of the Texas Rangers. We continue now with Tales of the Texas Rangers and our authentic story, Illusion. We had the white powder that Mrs. West had taken out of the capsule analyzed. It was poison, a lethal dose of arsenic. We took her to the ranch and began looking around in the hope of finding the source of the poison. Her husband was out on the range, and we started our search in the kitchen. Nothing in this cupboard, Jay. I'll try the one in the corner. Mrs. West, you're absolutely sure you saw your husband put the poison in that capsule? Yes. He was standing right there at the table. Oh, how could Mark do such a thing to me? Uh, you and Mr. West always get along well? Yes. Till about a year ago. When he said he wanted a divorce. Naturally, I was surprised. What did you tell him? I said I wouldn't think of it. And a few days later, he asked me to forget it. He never mentioned it again. Can you think of any reason why he wanted a divorce? I can now. Those business trips of his. Times he stayed away two or three days. Buying cattle, he says. He was with another woman. Now, you might be jumping at conclusions, you know, ma'am. No, I'm not. Why else would he have wanted a divorce? Yes. I reckon I've got what we've been looking for. Rat poison. Oh. Hmm. Bought at a Lyons drugstore in town. Just about half an ounce gone. Looks like he was scooped out with a teaspoon. You see? I told you he was trying to kill me. And now I know why. Because he's got another woman. Amy. Mrs. West, did you buy this poison? Me? Well, I've never bought anything like that. Then we'll check and see if your husband did. You... You're going back to town? Yes, ma'am. Don't leave me here. Oh, please. I'm afraid of him. I don't want to stay in this place a minute longer. He'll kill me. Take me with you, Ranger, please. All right, Mrs. West. You can wait in the sheriff's office while we go to the drugstore. Now, where'd I put that poison register? Mm. Yeah, here we are. Yeah. Any idea when this poison was bought? No, I'm afraid not. All right, we'll just start turning pages till we come to it. West, west. Well, if that ain't luck, hit it on the third page. Yep, it was rat poison, all right. What day did he buy it? It was on June 25th. And... Did you say he? That's right. Well, then there's some kind of mistake, Ranger. It wasn't him bought that poison. It was her. See? Amy West. Did you go to the drugstore already? Yeah, Amy. We went to the drugstore. Sheriff, is something wrong? Mrs. West, out at your house you told us you hadn't bought any rat poison. Yes. This is the poison register from Lyons Drugstore, Mrs. West. Yes? Is that your signature? Oh. Oh. Is there any chance somebody else could have signed your name? No. No. It's mine. I remember buying it now. I don't know how I could have forgotten. Please. 
Don't be angry with me. Please. We're not angry, Mrs. West. All we want to do is help you. Oh, I'm such a fool. I hate to ask you questions when you're upset, Amy. But it's important that we find out about this. Did you really see Mark put poison in that capsule last night? Yes, I... I thought I did. I don't know now. Everything seems to be spinning around in my head. I'm not sure of anything anymore. I think that's enough for now, Sheriff. I could see it so clear. Mark standing by the kitchen table, putting that white powder. Maybe I've been imagining things all along. Maybe I'm crazy. Oh, Ranger, please help me. <laughs> I think we better take you over to see Dr. Sobel again, ma'am. I don't care what you do. Just help me. Help me. <laughs> I called Dr. Sobel. He said he'd get a room ready for Mrs. West. While the sheriff took her to the hospital, I headed out to the ranch to see her husband. I learned he was still out in the range, so I unloaded charcoal from the trailer and started out. It was nearly five when I found him at a makeshift branding pen three miles from the house. Ooh, ooh, Charky. Ooh, ooh, boy. Mr. West? Oh, howdy, Ranger. Be right with you. Hurry up with the rest of them, Ted. Want to wind it up before sundown. Ah. What can I do for you, Ranger? I'm afraid I have some unpleasant news for you. Is it about Amy? Sheriff just took her over at the hospital. What's happened to her? Nothing serious. She's just a little bit upset. Oh, I thought it was... You were going to say something, Mr. West? I, I get so worried about her, the way she's been acting lately. I can't sleep nights thinking about it. Oh, Dr. Sobel's one of the best in Texas. If anybody can help her, he can. Sometimes I think she's better, and then... Well, it's like a curtain dropped in front of her eyes. She looks at me like she's never seen me before. It's pretty awful, Ranger. Yes, it is. I'd like to go see Amy as soon as I can. Well, you'd better call Dr. Sobel first, but I don't think there'll be any objection. She take her medicine along with her? I couldn't say. I better bring it to her. She'll be needing it. Oh, I don't think you'll have to do that, Mr. West. If she needs medicine, they'll give it to her at the hospital. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I suppose you would at that. Well, I'll be along to see her tonight. On the way back to the hospital, I kept thinking about his mentioning the medicine. It bothered me and created a growing suspicion in my mind. By the time I reached the hospital, I was convinced we didn't have all the answers. The sheriff and I decided to listen to any conversation between West and his wife. We set up a hidden microphone in an empty room, and we asked the head nurse to have Mrs. West moved in there. We settled down in an adjoining room with earphones and a tape recorder. At 7.35, we heard the door in Mrs. West's room open and close. Hello, honey. Hello, Mark. You feeling better? I... I don't know. Oh, you'll be all right. Ranger said you had a real good doctor. Mark, I... Yeah, honey? I don't know. Everything is so mixed up. I sure feel Honey, sorry. Don't for her cry. Too. Oh, I'm sorry. You'll be all right. When you get out of here, we're going to have the best time we've had in the whole 12 years we've been married. You really mean that? Sure, honey. Maybe we'll go away someplace. Maybe Europe for a few months. Oh, Mark. Uh, you just get a good rest so you can get out of here. Oh, well, almost forgot. Mrs. Dunlap sent you some candy. You know, that chocolate fudge you're so crazy about? Here. Candy? Oh. I don't want it. Honey, 
You know you love this stuff. Go on. Take a piece. Jeez, Jimmy. Uh, What's the matter, honey? Don't you want any? You eat I shouldn't stay too long. I'll leave the candy here by your bed just in case you get hungry later on. And I'll be in to see you tomorrow. Good night, Mark. Good night, honey. Sleep well. Well, what do you think, Jason? I don't know. Right at the moment, I'd say it was a toss-up. Let's get in there. Come in. Evening, ma'am. Hello, Amy. It's nice of you to come and visit me. You just missed seeing Mark. Mrs. West, have you eaten any of the candy on the table? Oh, oh, Mark brought it. No, I haven't eaten any. Would you like some, Ranger? Yes, ma'am. If you don't mind, I'll take the whole box. What? I'm sorry, Mrs. West, but we want to be sure it's just candy. We submitted the box of candy for rush analysis. Forty minutes later, the results came through. One of the pieces of candy contained arsenic. We broke the news to Mrs. West. She accepted it in stony silence. We decided to let West believe his plan had succeeded. We outlined our idea to the doctor. At midnight, we had him phone West and ask him to come to the hospital as quickly as possible. When he arrived, he was kept waiting alone for nearly an hour. The sheriff and I sat in Dr. Sobel's outer office. Finally, we phoned the receptionist and told her to have West come in. You ought to really be stewing by now, Jace. Uh, that's what I'm counting on. Jace, I hold swear it. I... Hold it, he's coming. Oh, Doc in his office? He's upstairs. Come on in, Mr. West. He told me to get down here as quick as I could. I've been waiting for an hour. What's it all about? I don't know. We got a call, too. How long have you been here? About an hour. What's happened to Amy? We don't know, Mr. West. I went down to her room. She wasn't there. Yeah, we were down there, too. Where's that doctor? I'm going to make him tell me something. Oh, Dr. Sobel's up in the lab. He said he couldn't be disturbed. Lab? What's she doing up there? The nurse said he was making some tests. On Amy? I don't know. I'm not going to stand for this. That doctor's got no right to keep me waiting like this. Not when my wife might be dead. Dead? What makes you think that? Oh, I'm sure that's it. Amy didn't want to live. She wanted to kill herself. I never got that idea about Amy. Well, you didn't know the way I did. She was always talking about killing herself. Last night, I caught her filling those capsules the doctor gave her with rat poison. Saw her put them in her purse. You did? Yeah. Took them away from her. Reckon maybe I didn't find them all. Reckon Amy had some more. Why didn't you tell us this before? No, I should have told you all about this, but I didn't. Because I was ashamed. Now you're going to blame me. You're going to think it was my fault Amy committed suicide. Well, go ahead, say it. Mr. West, you're liable to be getting excited for nothing. Nobody said anything about your wife being dead. She is, I know it. She's not in her room and the doc's up making some kind of test, ain't he? She's dead. She committed suicide. She's dead. Take it easy, Mark. I can't understand it. I tried to make Amy happy. Why'd she want to take her own life? We don't think she did, Mr. West. Huh? We think you tried to poison your wife with arsenic and the candy you brought her tonight. Candy? I I didn't bring her any candy. We know you did. But that's a lie. Amy died from eating poison candy. She had it with her all the time. I didn't bring it to her. I'm afraid you did, Mr. West. We've got a witness to prove it. Witness. Bring Mrs. West in, Sheriff. 
All right, Amy. You can come in now. What's the matter, Mark? Aren't you glad to see me? Amy, I... Maybe you can understand how I've felt all these weeks, hoping I was seeing things and knowing I wasn't. Now you know. Oh, it's all a mistake on you. Big mistake. No, it isn't. You wanted me dead so you could be with your other woman. Who is she, Mark? Is she pretty? You tell her how soft and silky her hair is, like you used to tell me. Amy, please. Do you and she have little jokes together like we used to have? Little pet names for each other? Mrs. West, that candy you had in your room tonight, where did you get it? My husband brought it to me. Amy, that ain't true. You know you had that candy in your bag all the time. I saw you with it last night. Did you, Mark? When? You had it. Try and remember. Amy, honey, you've got to remember. Ranger, she forgets things. Her mind wanders. I never brought the candy to her. I swear I didn't. It's no good, Mr. West. We know you brought the candy. Well, you're not going to take her word. She's crazy. She'd say anything. We don't have to take her word. What are you talking about? You know what this is? I'll tell you, Mr. West. It's a tape recorder. Tape recorder. Your wife's room was wired. You like to hear what you said to her tonight? (laughs) Oh. Oh. You ready to tell us all about it now? All right. I tried to kill her. She wouldn't give me a divorce. How do you think it feels having somebody else can't be with her? I'll be seeing her a few hours now and then. How do you think it feels? That's right, Mark. Cry. I didn't think you knew how. Go ahead and cry. Take her away, Ranger. I hate her. I don't want to see her. You won't, Mr. West. Her or any other woman. Come for a long time. Come on. In just a moment, we will tell you the results of the case you have just heard. And now, here are the results of the case you have just heard. Suffering from nervous strain, Amy West went to a private rest home. After six months, she was fully recovered. Mark West, having confessed to the attempted murder of his wife, was sentenced to ten years in Huntsville Penitentiary. Next week, Joel McRae in another authentic reenactment of a case from the files of the Texas Rangers. will soon be seen in San Francisco Story, a Warner Brothers release. The cast included Tony Barrett, Parley Bear, Jeanette Nolan, John Stevenson, and Byron Kane. Technical advisor was Captain M.T. Lone Wolf Gonzalez of the Texas Rangers. This story was transcribed and adapted by Charles E. Israel, and the program was produced and directed by Stacy Keach. Hal Gibney speaking. You are listening to WSHDLP Esport. We have just heard a 1952 episode of Tales of the Texas Rangers, entitled Illusion. Man, listen to that cat. He sure sounds like a 
that old doctor blues himself. Doctor. That was the Six Alarm Six from 1949. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of around the world staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week. and aka the bass lady join me for jazz potpourri airing wednesdays from 2 30 to 4 30 p.m with a repeat on saturdays from 4 to 6 p.m 
from divas to crooners, from the streets of New Orleans to the clubs of Paris, with a little Latin added for spice, Jazz Potpourri is an auditory mix for your listening pleasure. Join me Wednesdays and Saturdays on 93.3 FM, WSHD LP, Eastport. Hey, have I got a radio show for you. Old Coasting comes at you twice a week. Thursday at 8, Sunday at 4, right here on WSHDLP in Eastport, Maine, 93.3 FM. On Bold Coasting, we don't just play the music, uh, we like to talk about it a little bit, too. It's music and commentary. It's a radio show with liner notes. Your kids can ask your parents what that means. Every Saturday night at 7 and again on Tuesdays at 8 for Philly Joe Remarkable's Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP Eastport, Maine, 93.3 on your FM dial. Man, take this crazy pad. Man, it's a mad pad. Listening to WSHDLP Eastport, broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of Shed High School. Tune in Mondays 4 to 6 p.m. for Around the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you miss the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays, 6 to 8 p.m., and if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure. Come on by Sam's Caffeine Cafe every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean. There are no sesame seeds on the floor, no schmutz from the night before, just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer, some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz, but by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up-tempo music all hour long. It's a grab bag. It's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHDLP Eastport. <laughs> 